This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. A graveyard for many, a title challenge in the past. City travelled to Selhurst Park on Saturday knowing a win, albeit momentarily, will take them to within two points of leaders Arsenal at the top of the table. It's Thursday the 9th of March. I'm Amos Murphy. My name's Dan, I'm from HLTCO. And this is the City Report Podcast. Unbelievable! Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Hello Dan, it is an absolute pleasure. Um, Obviously we've got you on here for your Crystal Palace knowledge, but you are somewhat of a Twitter and podcast extraordinaire, so uh, it is with great pleasure we welcome you to the City Report podcast. Well thank you very much. I don't think I necessarily deserve that intro, intro, but you know I'll take it. As, as, (laughs) As toxic as social media can be, you've got to take the victories where they come I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're bang on there. But I mean, if anybody doesn't follow you, we'll leave links in the description. Um, go and hit follow, especially on Twitter. You do some fantastic stuff, raising awareness, some fantastic things, which is is all fantastic. However, we are here to speak about football. Crystal Palace at the weekend. Now, when we do these sort of these guest previews, I'm always interested into what the opposition fans have to say about City because. It's an elephant in the room at the moment. City have had some negative press and and we've covered that on this show plenty of times. I'm wondering what, maybe historically as well as currently, your opinion on Manchester City are. Obviously, this sort of, in the past, this sort of dwindling little club from Manchester used to get quite a few fans in the second and third division, taken over in 2008, won pretty much everything there is to win. However, within the sort of wider football world, there can be some sort of resentment. I was wondering where you sort of fall in on that. It's a difficult question straight away, Dan, <laughs> so I'm sorry about that. Uh, but yeah, I'm just wondering where you fall in on that. It's, it's an interesting one because, I mean, I can't speak for all Crystal Palace fans. I know that there's probably large sections of our fan base that aren't particularly enamoured with 
the amount of money or necessarily the source of it, et cetera, et cetera. But I, as an individual, I don't really have beef with supporters of clubs like yourselves, like Newcastle, who get taken over from sources of money that, that some people have moral obligations to. Because as far as I see it, you know, if you're a Manchester City fan from childhood and you end up supporting Man City because your dad did or your mum did or your uncle did, etc., etc., then you have no real agency or power over who owns your football club. And if you were to abandon it, you know, even though you can look at it and say, from a moral compass perspective, that might be the right thing to do, you, you decide to support a football club through thick and thin, you can still, I think, have moral obligations to certain aspects of it whilst also supporting the team that gets put out on the pitch on a Saturday. So I'm not really one that will beat Manchester City fans over the head with uh, the ownership structure. You know, I'm very big on, on Twitter of you know making sure that people are aware that it's not some new phenomenon that Manchester City had sizable crowds going back well before the money flowed in. I get a fair bit of pushback from from other uh, clubs' fan bases because I tend to be quite sympathetic towards the Manchester City plight and, you know, the way social media can be, twerking, etc. gets thrown in my direction. But, you know, I, I just sort of look at it in a, in a rounded way and think to myself, if I was a Palace fan and all of a sudden we got taken over by a source of funding that wasn't necessarily whiter than white, then would I stop going? No. So, you know, I, I just sort of put myself in those shoes, really. Yeah, yeah, you, you're absolutely spot on. And, and I think something that gets parodied a lot is the fact that custodians of a football club will change. You, you're supporting, your fandom will will pretty much never change. You know, you can change your supermarket if Asda goes bust or, or Aldi goes bust or whatever, but you're not going to change your football club, which I, I suppose is is maybe to our fault and our detriment. But uh, hey, oh, that's a sport we all love. Um, let's pivot towards the match itself then. And, and I want to I wanna focus today's episode on Crystal Palace and, and what we can expect, which I suppose may be a little bit of bad news for you to speak about because just looking at the form table, it isn't really going too well for them at the moment, is it, Dan? I'm, I'm looking and I'm seeing a lot of reds and I'm seeing a lot of yellows for draws. No win in 11, no win in 2023 this calendar year. Um, what's going wrong at the moment? A multitude of things, to be honest with you. It's very, it's difficult. I, I talk to a lot of fans for these sort of opposition previews week after week and, and they'll look at our side and they'll see Zaha and Elise and Eze and Edward and they think that we are this potent attacking force that can, you know, really put teams under pressure and create all sorts of chances. But I mean, I saw a statistic yesterday, I think who scored tweeted it out. We've scored nine goals from open play in this season, which is just an incredibly low number by any measure, you know. And don't get me wrong, you know, we find ourselves 12th in the table. I think we're five or six points clear at the bottom three. And this sounds like a, a case of me highlighting something that's the most clutching at straw statement you could possibly have. But if you look at the run of fixtures we have had from January onwards, really, we have played pretty much exclusively the top half of the table. Um, and if you look from April the 1st onwards, towards the end of the season, our games immediately become a lot more manageable. And we haven't really been blessed with a fixture list because the first sort of nine or ten games of the season were those very difficult fixtures then that run of easy games that you can sort of mirror 
uh, were interrupted by the World Cup. So as much as everyone has to play each other home and away, it's not been a case of, you know, top six, middle six, bottom six, and sort of repeat that as a trio. It's been very much feast or famine. And I think that necessarily hasn't happened that often in our Premier League stay since 2013. And it's, it's undeniably had a detrimental impact on our on our momentum, really. It's an interesting concept, isn't it? Because we hear, you know, typically from managers who who love the cliches, as we know. But like you say, everyone's got to play each other home and away. But I, I, I never buy into that because if you had Chelsea, and I mean, looking at Palace's fixture list, it pretty much is this. But if you had Chelsea, Tottenham, United, City, Arsenal, in all in all in consecutive matches, that's much harder than I don't know uh, Bournemouth and Aston Villa. You know it, uh, those teams towards the bottom of the table. So it definitely does make an impact. Obviously, City at the weekend. Uh, <laughs> knowing Manchester City, this is where Crystal Palace is losing streak and and, and when the streak ends. But what what's the feeling going into this game? Because I suppose from the sort of the the natural standpoint, when when big clubs like that come to Selhurst Park. It's a little bit of a, nothing to lose. Go out and try and snatch a point, as happened last season against Manchester City. However, when you look at the table and you look at the predicament Palace are in, a couple more bad results going into sort of just before the international break and just after, you could find Crystal Palace in a little bit of a relegation scrap, which I don't think many people would have expected come the start of the season. No, I mean, you, you can look towards Manchester City and then the following two games are Brighton away and Arsenal away. So again, you know, it's an incredibly mm. difficult run. And we go into this game against yourselves on Saturday without Chet Decore after he got sent off against Aston Villa for two bookings. And he is absolutely pivotal for us at the base of that midfield. Because, I mean, obviously it's a Manchester City podcast. You won't necessarily be aware of the makeup of our squad. But last season, I think it's fair to say that Conor Gallagher made headlines across the league with his impact in that midfield because he's pretty much just a Duracell bunny in the middle of the park. You know, he gets <laughs> up and down and, and presses the opposition. And we haven't really got anyone in that midfield to break lines uh, this term. You know, we, we've seen James McArthur be sidelined with injuries all the way through the campaign. Czech Coyate went to Nottingham Forest. And of course, Gallagher went back to Chelsea. So the midfield, even though we've brought in uh, Lukonga, and the Hamada at the end of the January transfer window. We don't have someone to to break those lines moving forward. And without Chet Decore on Saturday, he's almost been a, a dual central midfielder, playing as like an eight and a six at the same time. Uh, so without him sort of screening the back four, I'm genuinely concerned for how we're going to adapt in terms of our midfield battles. Yeah, Decore is a, a fantastic player. I know um, one of our regular contributors, a- Andrew Detmer, has, has been banging that drum well before he, he came to Palace. So um, a little bit disappointed not to see him in action. Obviously delighted that he, he, he's going to be missing for Palace. You mentioned before, since you came up in uh, about 10 years ago, Crystal Palace have been able to establish themselves sort of mainly under Roy Hodgson in that fantastic stint he had as this probably part of the middle class of the Premier League. Not too often has there been really sort of cutthroat relegation battles going into the final day where Palace's future is in, in, in sort of jeopardy. They've always been a team that has, has flirted with potentially finishing top half, you know, more often than not bottom. However, what what do you, what have you made of this sort of these 18 months, 24 months of, of Vieira so far? And 
at this stage, having seen his teams in action with some fantastic results now, I mean, I only think back to last season at the Etihad when we mentioned Conor Gallagher, he absolutely tore City to shreds and, and scored that sort of towards last minute uh, second goal to secure a win. And and that was sort of, I suppose, one of the highlights of the of the Vieira uh, tenure. But there have been some considerable low points. And, and, and it, of your opinion, is he the man now to for Palace to sort of try and break into that top 10? We've seen Brighton, Brentford, Fulham do it this season. So there's definitely an opportunity. But is it going to come with Patrick Vieira? I think you can pretty much split it down the middle in terms of the two seasons or season and a half-ish that he's had in charge. Because when he first came in, you know, the job that he had on his hands to revitalise that squad following the Roy Hodgson era was a pretty sizable one. You know, from the outside looking in, people will say that Roy was the definition of a steadying influence. You know, he had a pretty much guaranteed record of keeping us in the league year after year. But the squad was ageing. There is no doubt about that. The age profile of the squad was the oldest in the division. um, And we needed to revitalise it. And, you know, Eze came in prior to Roy leaving, but we brought in Elise, Anderson, Gay, you know, Decore this summer. But I feel as though it's almost too simplistic to say that it's just down to the lack of someone in the midfield to break the lines because we also need a regular goal scorer. Odson Edward came in from Celtic. He made an immediate impact, scored two in the space of about three or four minutes on his <laughs> debut against Spurs. Uh, but he hasn't materialised into a regular goal scorer for us. We've got an issue at right back in the sense that both Nathaniel Klein and Joel Ward are getting on. Nathan Ferguson, who came in to replace Aaron Wambasaka, has been injured throughout his entire time at the club. There are just a number of positions in that squad that need a lot of TLC and I think you know the initial burst of enthusiasm with the way that we were playing in the first season under Vieira has dissipated quite significantly this time around I don't personally think that we will be relegated I don't think we will Mm. uh, struggle come April the 1st to start picking up points because it's my belief that and this sounds a little bit like I'm an apologist for Patrick Vieira, but I think he has set us up in this incredibly difficult run to be very hard to beat. And we've seen that with draws against Newcastle and Manchester United. You know, we've managed to dig out these results. We got a, a point against the same Liverpool side that put seven past United at the weekend, of course. So, mm. you know, it's there to be seen in terms of the blueprint. But the, the question for me is whether or not we can flick that switch from the start of April against the more beatable oppositions and actually put, you know, victories on the board. Because there's a higher chance that these next three games against yourselves, Brighton and Arsenal, are not going to bring that victory. And then you're looking at, say, 12 or 13 games without a win, which is an incredibly long period of time to go. Yeah, yeah. And I I agree somewhat. I'm looking at some of the teams down there now and uh, and I don't really buy into the too big to go down adage. I think we've seen over the last sort of 20 years of the Premier League, massive football clubs have gone down. Big institutions have been relegated and then relegated even further down the pyramid. But there is that sort of that over, over, so that cloud hanging over Palace at the moment. Like you say, the next three games, if form goes to plan, Palace will probably pick up zero points, leaving them on 27. Um, with what would that be? About 28 games played. So 10 matches to go, 30 points to play for. Say Everton, say Leeds, say West Ham, Southampton, get a win in there. You're looking at a three point gap. I mean, it, 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 it's obviously personnel is an issue. 
You mentioned the um, the the old squad, and, and I have to say, Vieira did an unbelievable job. Uh, what is it now? Two summers ago, in in really changing that team around. I, I look back at the sort of the first of July and the squad list of Crystal Palace. You couldn't even list that. You couldn't even put out a, an eleven aside team. So I, I, God knows how he turned it around and was so comfortable last year. However, do you, do you feel like perhaps there's maybe some veteran leadership in there that that's missing a little bit? You there was a high turnover of players, a high turnover of some really sort of stalwarts of the football club. Is that is it is it too simple to say, oh, oh Crystal Palace need a, a 30 plus sort of like age midfielder, not not goal midfielder. That would be fantastic. And and that would fix all the problems. Or, or is it a little bit more deeper than that? I think I mean it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Because you can have players around a squad who are leaders, but they're not necessarily relied upon to, to go out on the pitch week after week and demonstrate it. I mean, there are individuals, Luka Milivojevic is technically the club captain, although I think if you speak to most Palace fans, they will say that he is not someone who cuts the mustard really for us these days. James Tompkins is in the squad, but again, you know, he isn't someone who is well suited to the possession-based style of play out from the back that Patrick Vieira wants to implement. I think the main loss really this season, alongside the Conor Gallagher shaped hole in our midfield is James MacArthur because for my money, you know, Jimmy is someone who, if you're not a, a Crystal Palace fan, you'll just see the name James MacArthur and you'll think, oh, well, you know, six out of 10 midfielder. But he was the definition when he first signed of a box to box, full of energy, lead by example, centre mid. And, and having him not in the squad, not just through, you know, his leadership, but also what he brings to the team week after week has been a significant blow. And I think we're just struggling for a bit of identity, really, in terms of the way that we're looking to to shape up week after week. Because, I mean, I'm, you can you can look at a situation where Mateta might start up front, where Zaha might start up front, or where Edouard might start up front. And all three of them are capable of, of doing, you know, good things across 90 minutes, but they're all very different in what they offer. And I think that, in itself just sort of highlights the lack of consistency in the way that we're looking to approach games because depending on who is leading the line, we will be playing a very different style and I think it stops us from building anything like momentum in terms of our playing uh, style and, and cohesion from week to week. Yeah, just quickly before we wrap on part one, I, I wanted to ask sort of a quick summary or a quick prediction, really, what, what, what you'd expect Crystal Palace to set up like, because you, you've mentioned that the sort of the different matches against high level opposition, and that can often sort of stifle a club's philosophy when you're just looking to eke out a point and, and, you know, Palace have been able to do that. 0-0 against Liverpool, uh, 1-1 against Newcastle. Oh, oh sorry, was it 1-1 and 0-0? I can't, I can't quite remember. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, they, they have picked up plenty of points. What is it going to be more of the same as we saw against those sort of clubs? So deep block, come and break us down. We'll settle for that one point. Or, or is the perhaps against a City team where we've been vulnerable this season in transition an opportunity for Crystal Palace to come out a little bit more? I would have thought it will be relatively similar. I mean, the the, the loss of Chet Decore is ginormous. I, I can't really explain to you how lost we look without him because he pretty much does the job of, of two sitting midfielders in one. So, I mean, the, the only real question mark for me, the back four will be solid. It will be one of Klein or Ward, depending on preference, Tyreek Mitchell on the left and Gay and Anderson in the middle. Um, in terms of the midfield, I would imagine that we will see Zaha on the left, uh, Elise on the right, or maybe Ayu on the right. 
And then the central midfield three is up in the air. You know, I, there's been plenty of pushback on Jeff Schlupp in recent weeks. He hasn't necessarily set the world alight. I think that's overselling him somewhat in, in recent times. But I would imagine he will start. Um, and aside from that, I mean, of course, we've got Lukonga. You would assume that he will start because he's had two starts on the spin since joining on loan from Arsenal. But Ahamada, the guy that came in from Stuttgart, is more of a more of a 10 than we have been used to playing with this season. So I'm not sure he will be used from the start by Vieira. I would probably suggest that Will Hughes will sit there as part of a midfield three, just because he's a bit more of a destroyer. But then that worries me, because I feel as though we'll just invite far too much pressure on and not really have the ability to get out and, and feed the likes of Zaha and Elise on the flanks. And, and it will really harm us in terms of our transitions, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it, it, it's an interesting one. It's always an interesting one when teams set up against City. But um, we'll await to see what happens at Sellers Park on Saturday. I'll do for part one. We'll take a very quick break. We'll be back in part two, where we'll discuss the Crystal Palace danger man, Wilfred Zaha. Welcome back to the City Report podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you hit follow, hit subscribe, especially if you're new around here. You can go back and listen to all of the episodes from this week. We started off by speaking about a victory against Newcastle, but we are now previewing Crystal Palace. And and one man, Dan, who I suppose you must you must have been asked this a billion and one times by now, but Wilfred Zaha. It's interesting because we could be approaching the final sort of the final few weeks of Crystal uh, of Zaha's Crystal Palace career, which I suppose probably might bring a little tear to your eye because he's been he's been Mr. Crystal Palace for for the best part of what a decade, if you take away that that United spell in there as well. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know how many of your listeners follow me on Twitter, but I am obsessed with Wilf. You know what I mean? Like the guy, <laughs> the guy has been. I feel like, and I always get on this soapbox when I come onto these opposition previews, because he gets so much unnecessary stick from rival fans because of his attitude problems, in air quotes, or his temperament. But all it is, is this deep-rooted desire to win. That That is pure and simple why Wilfred Zaha is the way he is. He has a never-say-die mentality. I have seen him play through injuries year after year, like people don't realise when they talk about his mentality or his temperament, the guy plays injured most weeks because he gets kicked so much and you will never see him down tools. Even when he was trying to leave a couple of years back and we said no, he didn't, you know, go on strike. He didn't moan. He just put himself out there again and gave 100% for the shirt. I don't think he's capable of giving, you know, 80 or 90%. He is full steam ahead whenever he's on the pitch. And the prospect of us going into next season without him is, is one that genuinely does depress me because apart from the fact that he's been so big for us in terms of goals and assists, he really understands what the football club is all about. And I think there is a, a sense amongst our fan base at the moment that the number of players within the squad that get the Palace mentality are dwindling. And he is such mm. a big part of that that if he is to leave, then I feel as though we will be left without a talisman both on and off the pitch in some ways. 
Yeah, it, it does feel like that. And and I, I look across London, um, to the north of London with, with Tottenham Hotspur and, and Harry Kane, and, and I think you could potentially make the argument if if Tottenham were to lose Harry Kane, obviously for a sizable sum of money, um, even though he's going into the final year of his contract, you, you, they would potentially be better off if they could recruit properly because they sort of they lose that that uh, that that tag of you know Harry Kane, the, the Harry Kane team as Guardiola once called them. But with Crystal Palace, it it, it feels quite the opposite end of the spectrum in the sense that I genuinely I, I would fear genuinely would fear for Crystal Palace say say there wasn't maybe you're not going to replace him but there was a, a similar profile of player um, I know Eze is doing fantastic stuff and Elise as well but you know someone who's going to chip in with with 10, 15, 20 goals per season I would I would fear for Crystal Palace next season however do you think, I suppose this is a little bit of a biased question because you're going to have a biased answer, but is it right for, for Zaha to be leaving Palace? I know I know there's chitter-chatter about Arsenal, Chelsea, AC Milan, you know, a big club in Europe. He, he's 30 years old now, so that tells us naturally as a footballer you've maybe got three, four years at the top you know at a maximum would you would you sort of if you were to have a whisper in his ear say oh you know what Will you can stick around for another couple of years you can see out your career here and and we could maybe have a a fun time or or are you at the point now where objectively looking at you going okay maybe it is time for him to go I think there isn't a sane Crystal Palace fan that doesn't understand that he has done his time in many ways you know that that sounds defeatist it sounds a bit negative but you know he signed a five-year contract we didn't put a formal release clause in it. And at no point has a club offered us the amount of money necessary for us to bite the bullet and sell him. Because realistically, players of Wilfred Zaha's quality are not available on the market to clubs like us. You know, that if someone was a like-for-like replacement for Wilf, they're costing £80 million, which is exactly why we have never said, you know, green like that, you can go off to Everton or you can go off to Arsenal. You know, I go back to it all the time. Arsenal, when Unai Emery was their boss, made a decision to sign Nicolas Pepe for £70 million over Wilfred Zaha. And Unai Emery wanted Wilfred Zaha, and we were asking for 55 and they said we were off our heads. And now you look at Nicolas Pepe and what he was able to do at Arsenal, you cannot tell me that it wouldn't have made more sense for them to sign Wilf for £55 million. And I often think he gets such a bad rep in terms of his impact at Crystal Palace. He has pretty much, in three or four of the last five or six years, picked the club up and put it on its, put it on its back and guided us to safety single-handedly. You know, that isn't an easy thing to do year after year and it's not going to just come about by sheer luck. So, of course, I would love him to stay and, and see out the rest of his career, get the statue, get the, you know, the all-time goalscorer record, etc., etc. But... You know, realistically, if he is to leave, then I don't think there will be anyone that begrudges him. I, I would far rather it wasn't in the Premier League and he moved to a, <laughs> a Roma or a PSG or a Dortmund because I think he could easily fit into all of those squads. Maybe not necessarily as a weekly starter, but certainly as a, a, a rotational player. Um, and it would mean that we didn't have to come up directly against him, which would be preferable, I've got to be honest. Yeah, I can imagine. We've had it this season with a couple of players, Gabriel Jesus, Sinchenko, Raheem Sterling, who were all cult heroes at one point, and it does sting a little bit. Um, final question then. Does it does it frustrate you as a, as a supporter of what many would consider a sort of a, a lower Premier League club when you see the likes of Arsenal, you know, like say Everton as well, have, have, have tickled the fancy at times, Tottenham Hotspur, when they, they've shown interest and they've sort of, they've turned the nose up at a, a club like Palace,
Palace in their eyes, asking for money for their best asset, who would potentially, if he leaves, leave the club open for sort of a threat of relegation. I can imagine it gets really frustrating when you see opposition supporters going, oh, oh my God, why are they offer it? Why, why are they asking for this much money? It's, it's only Crystal Palace, etc., etc." Yeah, I think it's one of my biggest bugbears. You know, saying he's not worth that is a ridiculous statement. Because I mean, I, I've been saying it for the last six months or so in relation to Declan Rice. He is worth, to West Ham, what they decide he is worth to them. And with mm-hmm. the Wilfred Zaha discussion, you know, we've often said, you know, give us 60, give us 70 million pounds. And they're like, well, how are we supposed to justify that? But I think you've summed it up yourself. You would fear for us next season without him in the side in terms of relegation. We all know how much Premier League football is worth to a football club year after year. And Wilf has been as close to a guarantee of that for us as we could possibly get. So, of course, if we were to have lost him, we want to make sure that we make that one year of Premier League money back in the majority. So, you know, the fact that his contract is now at an end and we will be seeing him probably, touch wood, hopefully not, but probably leaving the football club for nothing, it is a significant blow, but it's one that I think has been coming towards us on the horizon for a fair amount of time. And my hope is that the club have got a contingency plan in place because if we haven't, then, you know, we're going to be relying on players either from the academy or on, on a on a cheap deal that aren't necessarily going to be anything close to what Wilf has been able to produce. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I suppose how many Crystal Palace fans would have swapped him leaving five years ago for the for the memories you've had since, you know, Wembley trips, big wins in the Premier League and stuff like that. That those those stuff's are priceless. So um so there's certainly that to to look back on. Um Dan, we'll we'll call it a day there. Uh, thank you very much. I'm I'm excited for the game. It's my first trip to Sellers Park. So uh <laughs> half five on a Saturday, it screams banana skin. I'll be hoping for a comfortable 2-0 victory, unlike what happened last week uh, last season with a with a goalless draw. But I really enjoyed that Dan. Thank you very much. No worries at all. Hopefully your view isn't impeded by a post in the away end as most people seem to moan about <laughs> yeah well I think I, we've got our tickets through and they're uh, the row free so no, you never know with Celeste it might, it might <laughs> yeah. be yeah yeah absolutely here's fingers crossed that isn't the case um, right okay if you are new here of course hit subscribe hit follow I've been Amos Murphy I've been joined by Dan Crystal Palace fan ahead of Saturday's Clash until next time we'll see you later Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end-of-season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply, see mcdonalds.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This podcast is proud to be part of the Talksport Fan Network. Talksport. Powered 
by fans. <laughs>